Hello, welcome back to TAB University. My name's Katrina. Um, I'm from TAB. Uh, I am joined here today with two very special guests. We're going to be talking about bridging loans and the relevance in the current financial landscape. Um, we're going to be discussing why bridging loans are gaining a bit more interest at the moment. Um, maybe that's due to market volatility or increasing demand in real estate. We don't know. We're going to find out because I'm going to introduce you to our first guest, Tony Sutton, Managing Director from Specialist Financial Services Limited. Tony, can you give yourself a little intro to the I can. Uh, my business has been going, I was set up 19 years ago tomorrow. That's when Happy we started. So, yeah, it's not a special birthday, but it's not far off. Uh, in September, I sort of celebrated 40 years in the industry, in the specialist industry. because It was September 1983. Definitely that I started. an expert then. I don't know about an expert. I've probably <laughs> forgotten more than I've remembered <laughs> over the years. But I've been doing this a long time, since I was 20 years old. So... And probably if you can do the mash, you can work out how old I am. <laughs> Perfect. And Sophie, our lovely tab guest today, can you introduce yourself? I can. So my name's Sophie. I am one of the BDMs at Tab. Um, my role really involves me managing and growing relationships with brokers, introducers, making sure they're up to date with all our products. Um, also, just being there to support the process, sort of from initial inquiry all the way through to completion. And it's Sophie's debut podcast today, so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully it goes well. We'll, 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 we'll check fun. in at the end. Um, so we're going to start with a little fact time. Mm -hmm. um, we've been preparing some facts here about the bridging market. I'll start with fact number one, which is over the last 30 days, bridging. what is a bridging loan has increased on Google search data. Why do we think that's happening, Tony? I could probably say that with affordability being as badly affected as it has over the last 15 to 18 months, that at times now a bridging loan is the only option open to some people because there is no affordability calculation uh, involved within within the application. Uh, and more and more people are becoming aware of it as well and what they can do and that they are um, a tool that can be used for very, for good. I had a terrible reputation in the past. Mm. I mean, we'll come on to that later, but <laughs> uh, reputation in the past was it, you wouldn't touch it with a barge pole or bridging loan. Um, mm. But now it is the, we don't tend to call it bridging within within the office because we tend to find that the hangover of what a bridging loan used to mean, um, short-term finance or heavy refurb finance, had a conversation with a client this morning for 75 minutes and he was absolutely happy as Larry the whole way through until I mentioned the two words, bridging loan. <laughs> and then you almost felt a little, well, bridging loan, uh, why do I need one of those? Even yeah. though I've been talking about heavy refurb finance, uh, pre-planning finance, mm. um, there's a real thing with bridging loans. But I, th I think, going back to your question, the main reason uh, that we're just seeing such an, an uptick is that people are looking to looking for that type of finance because you've got you've got property investors yeah. who aren't getting the margins from their properties anymore so they're looking to refurb those properties how are they going to do it well they can't do it from their from their current mortgage lender because mm. the current mortgage lender won't do it yeah and i guess get, it buys that, them a bit more time as well right because absolutely. with rates obviously being a little absolutely. bit more absolutely and we stupid situation last year we had bridging loans that were cheaper and buy to let mortgages for <laughs> yeah. a while with some lenders so uh, it doesn't surprise me at all the the uptick is just it's explaining to the public and educating the public as to what they are and that they're not the root of all evil, which well, some of them mm -hmm. really do think they are at times. That is the purpose um, of podcasts like these. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
Fact number two in my search was Bridging Loan Books hit a new record high in Q3 of 2023. Um, figures were compiled by the Association, Association of Short-Term Lenders um, and Bridging Loan Books are continuing their upward trend growing by 2% to reach a new high of $7.3 billion. Are you finding that in brokerages, obviously? We are. Yeah? I can't speak for others. <laughs> uh, we certainly are. We've seen a huge upturn in bridging and development business uh, over the last six months, so much so that I'm interviewing two people for jobs on Thursday. Get in touch with Tony uh, if you're interested. Yes, please, if you would, <laughs> uh, because we're just it's getting to the stage where we're thinking, you know, I'm having to get involved. And yeah. we're speaking to clients, and I don't normally do that because I'm running a team of people, um, but they're just absolutely inundated. What so. kind of loans are you seeing? Is it across the suite of products? Absolutely. Literally yeah. everything from, from light refurbs, from uh, customers looking to maybe downsize. Uh, so that's on the regulated side, uh, but downsizing to a new property. Don't want to lose a the property they found because there's not a lot of buyers out there at the moment. Uh, so they're taking bridging for that purpose. Um, refurbishment though is is massive for us at the moment absolutely mm. massive there's so much of it going on but so much of it going on from customers who sometimes don't understand quite what they're doing yeah, they're seeing yeah. they can actually make a few quid and but haven't actually looked how into it how do you it. think the market could do better to educate those people what is it that they're stuck what is I don't know well, we we go as far as even issuing a, a, I think it's nine pages now, it seems to increase every month, a nine-page jargon buster. Yeah. Because you're talking to people and you, you talk to them about planning permission, for example, and it's like, well, do I need planning permission on this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that's, that's at times that's the, we've even seen people build houses on land they've got without planning permission. Uh, mm. at time. I mean, it is quite quite scary at times. So education is absolutely key. Of course, some people will always do that anyway, hoping they can maybe get away with it, but they get caught in the end. It's but education is absolutely key for 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 the general public, but not just the general public. Also, for lots of the um, mortgage brokers out there, yeah. you really have very little knowledge when it comes to bridging. Mm. I mean, very very little knowledge, and that, that's quite scary at times. And we'll come on to it later. Choosing the right. Lending partner, absolutely key, as well as yeah. the right broker partner, mm. is absolutely key uh, in getting the right deal. Because there's hundreds of bridging lenders out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I've seeing three quite... today. Sorry, three today, <laughs> three brand new ones from absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Give us business. Mm. Um, who, who are you? <laughs> Where have you come from? It's, it's three in one day. It's just it's just ridiculous the amount that are cropping Searching, up. Yeah. Mm. What are you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I think a lot of the. Um, regulated mortgage brokers are now moving towards the unregulated space mm. because obviously it seems like there's a little bit more business there and um, a lot of them maybe aren't as educated or I don't know what you would recommend to brokers like those. A partner with someone who knows what they're doing is absolutely key as well. There's a lot of, I mean, we're, we're classed as many things. You could call us a packager. You could call us a, I hate this term, master broker. I absolutely despise that term. Um, but packager, um Specialist broke, specialist, hence the name specialist financial services. We are, it's what we do, basically. Uh, there's there's quite a few out there that do similar to what we do. There's very few that have got the experience that we've got. Uh, some have come into the industry and are saying they're a specialist after they've written their first bridging deal. Well, you're not a specialist. You've just written your first one and you've got absolutely no record in, in the industry whatsoever. It's very important to partner with somebody who actually does know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, that, that I can't stress enough um, because... There's too many out there, and mm -hmm. I see too. I, I try to unravel. We try to unravel too many deals mm -hmm. that have been done where you think, "Why on earth was that client sold 
that product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I could probably do a whole podcast on its, on its own, just <laughs> examples of that. Um, well, I'll uh, quickly move on to fact her- number some three horrendous. before you do. <laughs> um, fact number three, I don't know why I can't articulate today. Fact number three is that institutional funding into bridging has increased recently as lenders are attracted to raising senior financing from single parties rather than multiple high net worth investors. Um, at TAB, we have we operate both. We've obviously just secured our latest funding line from NatWest, a nice £300 million one, and then we also have a network of high net worth investors as well. Um, and we've got some other funding pots as well. Um, why do you think lenders are moving towards this space more? Because it's profitable. There you go. <laughs> In a nutshell, it's profitable. And... In most cases, they'll get their money back. They're, they're making profit from it, and it, it's it's great that we're seeing that. Um, I do worry sometimes that some lenders are, some of the bridging, some of the smaller bridging lenders are relying purely on one source of funding, mm. um, because only it's a change of mind, change change in the direction of the wind, and all of a sudden that funding is gone, mm-hmm. and that's probably your worst case scenario. Whenever you're trying to, you've got a client that's going through, you're all the way down the line, you've valued it, you've got solicitors involved, and all of a sudden they pull the plug. Yeah, because and we've had some daily years. I mean, I've been doing this long enough. I mean, probably the worst one I ever saw was a lender withdrew funding from a client because the valuation said that it was one mile from a prison, and there could be riots at the prison, which could affect the property. Oh God! A mile away. It's because he didn't have any money. Yeah. Because their funders have pulled yeah. out. I'm not sure if their funders have pulled out or they'd actually run out of money themselves. Mm. Uh, so they were waiting on redemptions to come in before they could lend more money. That wow. that's that's your issue. So. Again, lenders finding a lender that has not just one source and isn't just relying on. There's lots of rich families out there who've launched, who put funds into bridging, which is great. But if they change their mind mm-hmm. or whatever they decide to do, I think hey, maybe this isn't for us after all. Yeah. Well, the first deal goes bad. That that always worries me. Yeah. Always well, I feel like me. they're more likely to kind of change their mind month on month, whereas with the institutional funding, you've kind of got that pot there. Yes, you've got your yeah. kind of criteria to hit, but important um, maybe more than one yeah exactly source of that institutional funding um, exactly because you're just relying on one and they have a change of heart yes you'll be have contracts in place but if they do decide to change their mind and say okay we don't we don't want to lend you, you to lend to this type of client anymore mm. and that can cause immense problems mm-hmm. yeah for any lender so yes it, it, it's good to see that there's more confidence in, in the marketplace from funders but I would say just be careful, any broker out there or even any client, just ensure that the lender is where, where they actually get their funds from. Mm-hmm. Because COVID probably for me was the worst. We saw some large lenders, when I mean, one lender withdrew 44 offers that they've made, wow. including three that were due to complete that day. Oh, God. Luckily, yeah. we only had one with them that was due yeah. to complete two days later. Mm. But the client lost a significant amount of money because that offer was withdrawn because there was nobody else in the marketplace that could help. You wouldn't do that type of property, unfortunately, <laughs> oh, okay. at the time. Well, so. <laughs> very interesting, very insightful. Um, if we move on to our questions, mm-hmm. which are, these are the top questions that are being asked on Google at the moment, um, with a little bit of tweaking from me, so that they make sense. Um, <laughs> we'll start with question number one, which is, what are the risks associated with poorly funded bridging lenders? We've just discussed that people are moving towards... Well, more lenders moving towards institutional funding coupled with high net worths. Can you expand on what do you look out for? What are the risks? What are the challenges? 
Well, I mean, I, I made some notes on this earlier on um, and over the weekend, and it, poorly funded bridging lenders, yes, that's always a danger. The other danger is, is, is bridging lenders with, and this wasn't a question that was really included, but it, it is important, is, is making sure the bridging lender you're dealing with is has got the staff that actually know what they're doing and what a bridging loan is. Mm. Short-term finance, we call it, for the benefit of this. Because um, that's probably just as important. If they could be the best funded lender in the world, but if their staff don't know what they're doing... It's a good place to start, isn't it? You're wasting <laughs> your time. You're really wasting your time. And unfortunately, there are lenders in the marketplace who've got some great rates, but I'm surprised they do any lending at all. Mm. Because their staff seem to be business prevention officers more than underwriters. It's <laughs> just They just don't seem to want to actually lend any money. Mm. And that's a real concern, because if you're going down that route with a client and you're actually getting them down three, four weeks into the process, and then you get some, I won't give any examples, but you get some stupid, stupid requests and questions back. You mm. think, where on earth are you coming from? It's- I think it's difficult with some of the larger lenders when they start to grow. You kind of have so many steps um, that it's hard to keep the message kind of consistent throughout yeah. everyone. So, yeah, no, I... And just even the difference between two underwriters who probably sit next to each other. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> you get two completely different outcomes. And that, yeah. to me, should not happen. Really shouldn't happen. Mm. But um, poorly funded bridging lenders, uh, our biggest problem we found in the past with those that are poorly funded is quite simply, there's always that chance you might lose, that the deal might just collapse mm-hmm. completely mm. uh, because they don't have the funds to lend. Um, it, it's doing your, I mean, We're coming on to this, I know it's on the next question, but doing your due diligence on a lender, absolutely vital. Mm. I can't stress that enough to anybody out there. Just make sure that you, you are looking at who is actually lending mm-hmm. the money. Mm. Can't stress that enough. Well, segueing in very nicely to question number two, mm. which is what is the due diligence process you undertake for selecting a lender? A reliable the, lender. I even <laughs> brought the document in, but I'm not going to show it, but uh, it is available to anybody that wants it. Just just contact me. Um, we carry out a four-day, sorry, four-page due diligence form on every lender. Um, some we aren't know the answers ourselves. So with Tab, for example, I've known Duncan for 15 years. Just trying to think back. Uh, 15 odd years um, so there's a lot I know about Duncan um, mm-hmm. that it's, it's questions I don't need to ask but with some lenders out there you have to ask questions you have to ensure uh, that you know even silly things like knowing what type of search they do so there's some lenders if they have a search facility they'll do a full credit search on inquiry stage before they've even made a decision to lend shouldn't do that mm. FCA banned that years ago mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. don't do it um, what do they do with your customer post-completion are they bombarding them with marketing material, trying to nick them from under your feet? Mm. Very, very important. You don't want to be dealing with lenders who are going to be, in one example we had, they phoned the client under their completion and said, next time you want to borrow money, come to us direct, because that way you won't have to pay a broker fee. Oh, wow. Now that is disgraceful. That's yeah. a very large lender. Wow. And when we pointed that out to them, they said, oh, no, that couldn't have happened. We'll check your call recordings. Say so due diligence absolutely vital. Mm. Whether they get the find out where they get their funding from. If they won't complete the form, don't use them. Mm. Seriously, don't use them because you don't know what they're hiding. What's the what the hidden fees they've got? And we've seen some stuff. We made the decision some years ago to actually develop our own bridging quoting system, which is very very difficult to do. Believe me, <laughs> and but it works very very well for us because we can quote within seconds, comparing about twenty five different lenders, and. What we found when we was doing the research with lenders on that is the amount of fees that were hidden in in some way that didn't mm. really appear until maybe offer stage that you think, well, what's that for? Mm. You know, charging a fee because it's a Tuesday. And so it's not, cloudy like, almost not shown on the initial <laughs> no, term sheet all. that's sent. Not at all. 
Wow. So we'll say, what's this fee? Oh, yeah, that's a fee we charge for this. What about that one? That's a fee we charge for this. Well, they weren't on what you had originally. Mm. You can't do that. You really can't do that. Because mm. as brokers, we're the ones at the sharp end. We're the ones speaking to clients. And if it goes wrong, most yeah. clients don't even know who the lender is, by the way. Mm. They think it's us that's lending the money. Mm. Even yeah. though we say we're a broker, not a lender, mm. they think it's us that's actually arranging. And they'll come back to us in six months later and say, you lent me this. You, you've actually lent me this amount of money. It wasn't us. It was so-and-so finance mm. limited. Oh, okay. I thought it was you. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, you've got to be transparent from the start, right? Otherwise. You yeah, and and you know you want that client to have a good experience of working with that lender, and you know you don't know what their future plans are. So you would hope so. You would hope so. I, I do wish that lenders would just realise when they do stuff like that. Lend, I don't see clients as a one-off one-off hit. I see a client as if we do a good job with them when they need something in the future, regardless of what it is. Mm. You could have someone come to us for a heavy refurb, bridge, or even a development, but at some stage they might want to remortgage their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want them to think of us when they're looking to do that as a next transaction rather than somebody else because they don't realise we do it, for example. Mm. Uh, but to do that, they need a good experience the first time round. Yeah. They don't have that good experience. They'll never, ever want to contact you again. Mm. So absolutely vital. Um, so yeah, we are very, very, very strict on that as to who we take on. Mm-hmm. And 90% of the lenders, including the three who contacted me today, would not pass this <laughs> four-page due diligence form. And we ask things like, I'm just looking at the first lot of questions, do you have PI insurance? What do, What's going to happen if it does go wrong? Mm. Yeah. Do Have you had any... You've been censored by the, by the authorities in the last five years. Um, how is your lending funded? Mm-hmm. Surprising how many don't actually reply. Wow. <laughs> Well, there you go. Make sure you're filling out the form. Yep. Create a form if you want to. Yep. Um, question number three. Given the rising popularity of bridging loans, how might this trend impact interest rates and terms for borrowers in the near future? You'll see some lenders um, having their little rate wars. Uh, you'll see changes of, all of a sudden, there's a 0.01% like drop in rates for which uh, you, they think that's, that's great, we're going to corner the market because of that, and then the nearest competitor will do exactly the same. So you get that daft situation where they're just dropping very, very gradually. Uh, there'll be lenders chasing rates, but the other ones, I think the ones that are in the market who do know what they're doing and don't just rely on having the headline rate that might be available to some clients if all the boxes are ticked, uh, they're the ones they need. To, one thing that lenders must always remain is profitable. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, we, one thing we saw back in, I mean, I was unfortunately uh, doing this back in 2007, 2008, where we saw some lenders uh, charging rates. I mean, it's, I can remember one client who got 0.15 over base for life as a variable oh rate on, on his buy-to-let portfolio, Wow, which he's still paying. <laughs> and the lender is desperate for him to go, and to, <laughs> to go somewhere else. We said, why should I? Yeah, I'm yeah. Paying, he's going here, I'm, is he? No. <laughs> it was great when rates were down at sort of like 0.1%. It was, it was fantastic for him, but... It, it, we don't want to get in a situation where our lenders, if they're not profitable, mm. they won't be here. Yeah. And there's one thing about this industry, whether it's bridging, whether it's mortgages, whether it's second charges, whether it's commercial finance, people will always borrow money. Mm. Regardless, always, will always borrow money. When I first launched back in 1980, on my first brokerage in 89, on the second charge side, we had two rates, 22.6% APR and 25.6% APR. And that's all we had. And the market was never busier mm. we had some brokers who were completing 100 loans 150 loans a day wow but i think people have just gotten so used to or comfortable to the lower interest rates that we've had previously yep. that 
they expect it to go back to that level, which, you know, we don't see it going that low because that level was not sustainable long term. Yeah, but the other thing is a whole generation who've never seen Mm. high interest rates. Yeah. I mean, I've got four kids. My oldest is 35, my youngest is 26. And in 2008, 2008 he was 20. Well, 2007 is when it really started. So he'd have been 19. He'd never borrowed money in his life yeah. at that stage. <laughs> now he's looking to borrow money. And he's, he's looking, he's thinking of buying a house mm. and saying, Dad, what, you know, can I get a mortgage? And I'm saying, well, you can, but affordability might be a bit of a problem. You should have applied three years ago, like I said. <laughs> and it's, it's very, it can be very difficult for some people. And then the other situation we've got at the moment is that a lot of people don't realise. We still get calls from people on the bridging side saying, yeah, I'm looking for a bridging loan. Can I still get 0.4% per month? So yeah. which we normally, I normally reply, and fortunately I don't speak to many clients because yeah. I could be seen as slightly sarcastic. <laughs> Buy yourself a time machine, go back 18 months, <laughs> yeah. and you'll get that rate, no problem at all. Mm. But that's the only way you're going to get it because it's not available anymore. Yeah. Wish it was. Really wish it was. Mm. So, yeah, it's terms, I think the terms will continue to improve. Um, again, going back to that client this morning, the 75 minutes of my life that mm. I'll never get back. Uh, the... I was explaining to him that the terms that are now available are nothing like what was available, let's say, pre-COVID, because we lost 18 months anyway. But pre-COVID is no comparison now. Rates mm. are a lot cheaper, but what was actually available was just nothing at all. Mm. And even going back to 2010, 2011, when bridging first started to really take off, because it was pretty much the only type of funding that was readily available, rates weren't a problem. Mm. Because people have become a little bit too used to rates being so low that yeah. they... You know the fact they've gone higher. It's not all like, I'll wait. Mm. Well, how long do you want to wait? Yeah, we mm-hmm. could be. We could. This could be our situation now for the next five, ten years. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it's so important for clients, brokers, to make sure they're educating themselves and keeping yep. themselves up to date with what's going on. Absolutely, and... absolutely. Mm. Have you got a positive outlook for the next five years? I wouldn't be employing people if I would if I hadn't. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Simple I do. I do think that confidence is sort of returning. Um, it would appear to be. It would appear to be. It's. I mean, I think there are some. There are some people that um, we know within the the, the uh, term market. There's been a few redundancies recently, mainly because in the buy to let market, for example, affordability went out completely out the window. Mm. So I know one lender had 30 underwriters, and they made 22 redundant last Christmas. Wow. And those people, I've had two of those apply to me in the last, and all I did was put a post on LinkedIn, and all of a sudden mm. I was literally inundated with people, not expecting it at all, because normally you might get one or two re- responses. That's 16 in the first day. Wow, mm. amazing. And it didn't cost me a penny, which is great. <laughs> and the power LinkedIn. of LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's it's definitely, definitely, I, I, I'm, I'm always an optimistic person anyway uh, when it comes to finance, because as I said before, people always borrow money. The only thing we'd need is lenders willing to lend mm-hmm. on terms that clients want to accept, so they can't can't be going too stupid on rates. I mean, clients are very much late read and rate led anyway. But it's, people will always borrow money. Mm-hmm. So as long as we've got lenders, in two thousand eight, I didn't have a situation I had to make my staff redundant because we didn't have any customers. I had more customers than ever. Mm. I just didn't have any lenders that wanted to lend to them. <laughs> Simple as that. And then Tab came along. Oh, no. A long, a long time later. Yeah. The, yeah. The other one came along. <laughs> skip, skip over that. Um, <laughs> then 
then Duncan came along. Then Duncan came along. <laughs> um, well, moving on to question number four. A mm-hmm. uh, bit of a mouthy one here, so bear with me because I might have to do it more than once. Um, with the increase in institutional funding, how does this shift from high net worth investors to single parties affect the overall accessibility of bridging loans for different types of borrowers? If I shorten that to probably what the question should be is how are bridging and specialist finance more accessible to borrowers now than maybe they previously were or aren't they? Um, that's quite a difficult one for me to answer, really, in some ways. Um, it's, But it, it comes to I mean, high net worth investors, we've already covered that a little bit. So if we're talking single parties as in institutional funding, yeah. for example, um, it, it should make things easier. But I think, again, key is just not relying... My, my knowledge of the bridging lending market is obviously only what I get from speaking to the likes of Duncan or my other friends who... I've got some friends who own... I mean, I'm doing doing a podcast tomorrow with, with one that uh, is the CEO of a, a, a decent-sized bridging lender. And it's only what he tells me about their funding. So he always says the key thing, as far as he's concerned, is spreading what mm-hmm. you've got. We, we've already covered that anyway, so... Um, but the accessibility, well, things it, we can see the, the market's improve, it's increasing. Mm-hmm. But the other thing we've got, we've got lots of lenders in the market all chasing the same clients. Mm-hmm. And because they are chasing the same clients, uh, what they, they need to do something to get to get more clients on board. Mm. You can't just stick with the same criteria. Everybody sticks with the same criteria, and you're expecting more more borrowers to be there because it's not going to be the case. Mm. You need to be a little bit more flexible. That's why we're seeing lenders now on heavy refer, for example. And we've got one lender that last year was going to 90% net on a bridge. Wow. Uh, they're down to 80 at the moment, but that should hopefully increase fairly soon. Mm. Um, now, that type of deal was not something that was available four or five, six years ago, mm. as far as I know. Unless anybody else have had a product I didn't know about. But there's it's definitely going to be going to, I think we're just going to see it build and build and build. Mm-hmm. The only thing that could affect what we do um, is if the FCA get their hands on this. Because if they see that there's harm being, being like type, clients are being targeted and the um, harm is being like caused to them, then we're going to see the FCA get involved. And needs Parliament to get involved. One MP to start making banging a drum, mm. and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we should regulate this. Mm. And then watch that would mix things up, wouldn't that it? Would, you just just see how that goes. I could, that would be absolutely horrendous. It really mm. would because they don't understand mortgages, let alone bridging finance. Mm. So. Um, but I, I, can, I only see good things for it. I, I really do. So onwards and upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, question number five. How might the current economic climate influence the demand for bridging loans, be that interest rates, inflation, etc.? What precautions should borrowers take to navigate market fluctuations? Well, one of the most important things for me in a bridging loan, we don't just look at uh, the, the bridging loan itself, what they're looking to do now. Very important is... What do they want to do at the end? Yeah. What's the exit? Now, that to me is as important as getting the deal through because I've seen too many clients, um, especially since COVID, who've been sold an absolute dog of a bridging loan, mm. uh, which they've got no chance of getting out of at all. Or uh, it's been set up in such a way that to get out of it can take months, mm. just even on the legal side. Uh, we, we're coming across uh, one lender that was uh, – who lent two clients I know or two clients that came to us afterwards trying to get exit sorted and what they'd done they'd lent to the clients just before COVID started so January, February 2020 Mm -hmm. 
and they had done it in such a way so the legal side of things the legal the legal certificate of title basically wasn't worth the paper it was written on that was provided um, by the solicitors because of what they were asked to do by the lender was nowhere near enough there was nowhere near enough due diligence so when it came to the exit Mm -hmm. and you get a decent lender who says okay we want all these 20 things sorted it's like why do you unravel that because they should have been sorted like Mm. 12 18 months ago when this was taken out Mm. and they weren't but the reason they're doing that is quite simply their margins are so thin mm. because they've because of the way they get their funding. Uh, they only make money when it goes over term. Oh, God, yeah. Wow, that's cheeky. And when it goes over term, you watch how much the rate goes up to 3%. The fines, not fine, fine is probably the best word for it, 50, 60, 70,000 pounds. Two mm. clients who borrowed, one borrowed 400, one borrowed 600, both cost them over 100,000 pounds to go over term. Wow. Mm. That's the problem with over leveraging as well, right? Which is why we've always been, you know, I wouldn't say cautious on over leveraging, but we're never going to be that 75, 80% lender, especially in a market like we're in now, because we are always looking at the client's exit and making sure that there's, you know, a viable exit for them to refinance us. And the last thing we ever want to do is repossess someone's property. Yeah, and nobody does. But say some lenders out there, that doesn't really come into the equation. Mm. Do your homework. Really, you've got to do your homework when you're dealing with lenders and know who you're dealing with. Yeah. Just check their reviews. Mm. You soon find it. You soon see what <laughs> yeah. they're like. You soon see what people say about them. Um, and if the majority of the reviews are, don't touch with a barge pole, guess what? Don't touch them with a barge pole. <laughs> yeah. Simple as that. So it's... Yeah, I, I think yeah, going back to the... the Looking at the exit is absolutely key. But one thing we haven't got, and the thing I always say to clients is you've got an exit in place, you're going to sell the properties. Fabulous. Obviously, mm. you can't see what the market's going to be like in 12 months' time. Mm. So what's your plan B? Yeah. Don't just have one plan. You've, it should be two. The guy this morning, he started off with, well, we're going to refinance them and put them on buy-to-lets. And I said, well, maybe what happens if the rental income isn't enough to get yourself a buy-to-let mortgage? Mm. Oh, I haven't thought of that. Mm-hmm. okay well, have you considered selling well, yeah yeah could, we could sell the lot I said well you could maybe keep you, you turn in one house into eight flats mm. you could keep three four five however many you want sell the others mm. pay down your debt accordingly mm. yeah, yeah I suppose I could I hadn't thought of any of this at all all he thought about was just so focused on here and mm-hmm. now mm. and not 18 months time and I guess it's down to you to kind of probe them and get that information out of them and that's knowing the right questions yeah I yeah. hate to say it, our fact find is 16 pages long on a bridging deal, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think most, there's many brokers out there who probably write it on the back of a fire packet. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And they're all questions that ultimately a good lender should be answering, asking anyway. So mm. that, should you do. Know. Yeah. Should do. There's a lot that we ask just to make sure. We, I mean, there's a lot about vulnerability at the moment, just ensuring you're not mm-hmm. lending to somebody who is in a situation where they shouldn't be borrowing. Mm. I mean, I recently... Uh, I had a lady on the phone who's 80 years old who had just lost her husband and she was, um, she's was she been renovating some properties above a, a business that she runs or her family run. And I could tell on the phone call, I spoke to her, I could tell on the phone call that she was really quite distressed and she mm-hmm. could easily be taken, taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing, well, not the worst thing because I thought probably all, all clients should do this in some way, but she'd shopped around with, with so many different brokers mm. You could see some of them would have actually taken her to the cleaners. Oh. And she'd already been taken to the cleaners because she'd applied for one loan uh, with somebody a few months beforehand and had been actually put 
uh, with a lender who decided that because they couldn't do the loan on her business premises, that because it was outside their, their property types they would accept, they took a charge over her house mm-hmm. and lent the money to a limited company that wasn't borrowing the money. Or a limited company wasn't involved. Mm. But they lent the money to a limited company. She got 400 grand on her house and she's 80 years old. Mm. Mm. And that's where it can go badly, badly wrong. Yeah. So I went down, I drove down to Dorset mm. and, and sat with her for three hours. And we're now doing a deal for her because she said that she trusts me more than she trusts any of the others she spoke to because mm. I've been perfectly honest with her. Yeah, and told her what the risks are to her. Told her you, you know, you've taken a charge of, you've taken out a mortgage, against, a, a bridging loan against your house. Yeah, with a lender that I wouldn't touch mm. with a barge pole. Yeah, because they are absolutely horrendous. No names, <laughs> but but now she's in a situation where we found the right lender for her. It's now going through. Unfortunately, the lender is asking some stupid questions. Hence my comments earlier <laughs> on. Um, but we're getting there slowly. Mm. But she's now been being advised by by people who know what they're doing have done these before yeah not sort of learning on the job and then finding out that um, if you've got a listed building you need listed building consent to yeah. do improvements to the property but the brokers, previous broker didn't tell her that brokers mm. have to be regulated right uh not always not always not, not in always. the commercial space yeah no, not so. always i mean one of the questions again one of the questions i ask on here is uh, do you accept business from brokers that aren't authorized by the fca because I see two, I see a lot of lenders out there taking business mm. from people who, mm. I mean, if they just did a Google search on them, yeah, like, are we really dealing with this guy? And mm. um, it's quite horrendous. So, but even FCA authorization doesn't mean too much these days. So, uh, from some of the people we've seen recently <laughs> yeah. um, that are trying to give us business. So, um, yeah, I think that's why it's so important for us as well to be really clued up on the story, um, know exactly what the exit is. Um, so obviously if we think that it's a case of, you know, the, maybe the broker isn't as sure on what that exit would be, you know, we're going to ask more questions. We're going to make sure that everything's ironed out before lending. So, And if the exit is sale, then just have a quick look on Google. Yeah. Look on right move just to see if the client thinks they're selling properties at 700 grand each and they're selling for 300, mm. then you know you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah. Don't just think of that one hit at the start, how much I'm going to earn out of this. Mm. Think this is your customer. You've got to do right by them. Yeah. Because if you don't, it could come back to haunt you. Yeah, oh, indeed. And we don't want that. No. No ghost tanks. Um, well, wrapping things up on that, do you have, maybe it's a ghost in a property, probably not, but there we go. I'm looking forward to yeah. this, but <laughs> I'm asking all of our new guests so for the, uh, a crazy property story that you've come across in your lifetime of working within the okay. space. In my 40 years of doing this, uh, I've come across many situations. I did, I did write three down, but then when we was waiting outside uh, to start this, <laughs> one popped into my head. Um, what is is it one of the three that you wrote down? It's not, no. It's, it's, it's a brand new one. There was actually, I'll, I'll give two very brief examples. So um, back in the early 90s, uh, when we were going through that recession, which probably neither of you remember, uh, it, it, we, myself and my business partner at the time tended to go and see clients wherever we could if they were local enough and we just started advertising in the press and so we were getting lots of business in and we were working all hours I mean stupid hours um, seven days a week I went to see a customer this has two examples I went to see a customer not a million miles away from here um, probably only about two miles away from where we are now um, and I turned up at his house that was I pulled up outside it was made of um, basically scuttled ships from World War Two. 
So the, his the, house was his made. house was made. So it was a semi semi detached property. Uh, so the two semi detached properties were made out of steel from these World War Two ships. This isn't the weird part. Property or boat. Uh, sort of, yeah. Hopefully it was waterproof. Uh, during the whole interview, he was pacing up and down, uh, getting more and more angry. And I then looked up and I noticed there were three shotguns on the wall. Oh. So, time to part. And this was 92, 93, so it was pre-guns being banned uh, after what the terrible thing that happened in Dunblane. Uh, so I got out there really quickly. But probably the stupidest situation I ever saw. Turned up again, it was, one, it was November, December, freezing cold, lashing down with rain. And I turned up at this house to get a client signed up, single guy. So I pulled up at this house, and I'm looking at numbers, and I thought, that house hasn't got a front. A front? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I pull, pulled up, I got out of the car, walking towards it, and I thought, yeah, that's the right house. What he'd done, he started to, he decided he wanted to do something at the front of the house. And I really can't, I honestly can't remember what, because this, again, was probably 30 years ago. And he'd knocked the front of the house down. <laughs> so there was no front to it at all. So the entire front was open to the elements, and all he had was plastic sheeting from oh, the roof God. running down to the floor. It was blowing a, a gale outside. It was lashing down with rain. And I've walked in, he's got a little Caligas heater trying to heat the room, oh, which you might no. as well just like, <laughs> chucked it outside. And I said, it might be a bit of a problem here. And he said, well, why, what's that? I said, you've got no front to your house. <laughs> We've got to send a value around here. He said, well, why is that a problem? So I yeah. left. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's what makes the job so interesting, right? And that's why I love doing what I do, because you meet so many different people from so many different backgrounds. Um, yeah. I just feel sometimes like I'm like one well, of those dolls that just sits there shaking their head <laughs> the whole time because we do come across some situations you think, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? But yeah, I've got plenty of those. I, I could go on literally all day. I could do another podcast. <laughs> just, just on, um, we'll have to have you back on then soon. Yeah, just a special. Yes. Yeah, Tony story special. Yeah, stories from the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing all of your stories and all of your knowledge. Thank you. Today. Thank you thank for having you, me. Sophie, yep. for joining us as well. And thank you to all of our listeners. Um, this will all be across the normal channels. I'll be putting all of Tony's contact details in the show notes. And you can find us on LinkedIn, social, Instagram, YouTube, anywhere you want. Just Google tab and you'll find us and Google Specialist Finance Limited, Services Limited, and you'll find Tony as well. And if anybody wants that due diligence form, more than happy to share it. So there you go. Wherever yeah, the camera is, <laughs> the cameras, more than happy to share it. Completely free of charge. Just uh, ensure you're dealing with the right lenders. That's all right. Because if we can get rid of some of the lenders who shouldn't be in the market, I think the world would be a happier place. I'd well, be happier. Yeah. I really <laughs> would. The bridging market would be happier. And so. on that positive note, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye.